We're in Matthew chapter 7 today, except we're really not. That's a misprint on the handout. We're in chapter 8, so go ahead to chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8. I had chapter 7 on the brain, but we're really in Matthew chapter 8. So uh, you'll have some of the scriptures are on the handout today and the notes. So this handout has the notes for the message this morning. And uh, other scriptures will either be on the screen, assuming they got chapter 8 instead of chapter 7. Are we good? He's getting there. He's telling me, he's telling me uh, that uh, I need to do a better job. So uh, Matthew chapter 8. Now the message today is called this. It's called an invitation to outsiders. How many of you have ever been invited to a party or a gathering, and you just felt like you were an outsider. Has that ever happened? Anybody? I'll tell you the classic. The classic is the work Christmas party where you are the plus one or the spouse. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been to a work Christmas party, but you were not the employee? And you're there with your spouse or your significant other, uh, uh, and, and they're just like talking to everybody. Remember this? And, oh, yeah, how about that? And you're just like, nope, don't remember any of that. Nope, don't have a clue what you're talking about, but I'll just stand here, right? I'll just be there. Nobody likes to feel like an outsider, do they? Jesus extends an invitation to outsiders. And that's what I want to speak to you about today. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, or more specifically, the kingdom of God, because that's what the book of Matthew is all about. It's about the kingdom of God. And that's the theme of all the messages we've seen in Matthew so far. The theme has been the kingdom. And the people of God, the kingdom of God, is not about looking... Well, let's go out and let's look for people who kind of fit in with what we've got going on here. And if they kind of fit in, we'll bring them into the group of insiders. Isn't that how a lot of things in the world work? But Jesus specializes in taking the ones who the world would say, well, they are outsiders, and he brings them in. Now, this is all centered, this message today is all centered on the very first miracles recorded by uh, the miracles of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, how many chapters in are we in this study? What chapter are we in? We should have this one down by now since I had it messed up. We're in chapter 8. We are eight chapters into the book of Matthew. We haven't seen Jesus perform a single miracle yet. Now, little Bible study note for you. If you are, how many Gospels are there? Four. Matthew. What's the next one? And then, and so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, some people have, have noticed that there are differences in the material recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many of you have observed there are some differences in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Now, some people see that and they go, oh! but we don't need to do that. We can breathe easy because each gospel was not written to tell us everything there is to know about Jesus, Right? Like, if you or I, in our Western mentality or American culture, if we were like, well, I'm going to write a biography, we would be like, all right, well, let's start at the birth, and then let's go to their childhood, and let's move through this. And we would move through it very systematically, and we would try to get all of the details in a row. Is that how the Gospels were written? No. They were not written to give us 
a, not one of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, not one of them was written to give us a perfect chronology of the events of the life of Jesus. Now, do we find the chronology there? Of course we do. But each of the Gospels was written to give us a different picture, a different perspective on what Jesus was like. The same thing, if I said, if I said uh, let me tell you, if, you, if you said, Ethan, are you married? I'd say, yes, I've been married for 17 years to Deborah. Well, tell me a little bit about Deborah. Well, she was born on September the 25th, 1984. She was the first of six children. Is that how I would begin the story? No. If you want to know what she was like, I would start to tell you all the things about her. That's what, that's what the Gospels are like. So Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the king. And that he, in fact, at the... Well, I'm preaching next week's message. Matthew is teaching us that Jesus is the king and we can be part of his kingdom, right? So he waits to give us the first miracle until chapter 8. Now, you might not know this, but the miracle, we're going to look at two miracles today. Were these the first two miracles that Jesus performed? What do you think? I've kind of set you up now. Probably not, right? These were not. In fact, the miracles that we are about to look at chronologically, if you study all of the Gospels and you piece the chronology together, you'd find that these miracles are actually number four and number five. Matthew skipped the first three. Now, I don't think it's a mistake. Well, I know it's not a mistake. Why? Because Matthew is teaching us about Jesus' kingdom. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to skip down with me. We're going to start in verse number one, but I want you to skip down to the, after both miracles are performed, I want you to see what Jesus says. So this is on the bottom of the first page of your notes, or it is in the Bible in verse 11 and 12. Matthew 8, 11 and 12. This is Jesus speaking. And I say unto you, that many shall come from where? The east and the west. Now, geographically, where are they located when Jesus is speaking? Where are they? Just tell me the place. Israel. They're in Israel. And to the people that Jesus is speaking to, Israel is the center of the universe to them. Israel is the place where God's kingdom is going to be. These are, these are faithful Jewish people in the first century. And here they are. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something. Not just some, but many. There are going to be many people who come from the east and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you don't know the Bible, like not everybody in here does, that, this is like a confusing, like who are these guys and why are they sitting down with them? Right? Like, what is this all about? The Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were like, I'm just trying to think of the best example. This is like George Washington. I was, I was there. George, George, Adam's giving me help. He's like, say George Washington. I was going to. They're like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln. Except more than that. Because if you were a Jewish person, you look back and the, the very father of your faith, the father of your ethnicity, the father of your whole nation is an old guy named Abraham. 
and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. These were your people. These were your ancestors. This was who you belonged to. If you were an Israelite in this day, you were a son or a daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of that, you were something. Well, at least that's what, how you viewed yourself. Not necessarily because of who you were, but because of who your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers were. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now look at what Jesus says. He says, in the end, in the day of my kingdom, there's going to be a lot of people from way over in the east and from way over in the west, and they're going to have a place at the table with the Jewish forefathers. Now, for you and me, well, I won't speak for you. I am not Jewish at all. I don't know if anybody in here is, but this is really good news for me because my ancestors do not go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am so glad that God made a place for me, an outsider to the people of God. God made a place for me. I would be from the West in this passage. And John, you would be from the East, right? But each of us meet in the middle in the kingdom of God. Aren't you thankful for that? It's awesome. Many from the West and from the East will come together. But now verse 12, so that's a positive verse. Now here, verse 12, Jesus gives a negative verse. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a dark verse, isn't it? In summary, Jesus is saying this. Whether or not you make it into the kingdom of heaven is not about who your dad was or who your mom was. It's not about what people you belong to. In fact, there were a lot of people, the children of the kingdom. He's been speaking in this passage in Matthew to Pharisees. They were religious people in the day who would have said, we have Abraham as our father. We are the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you might be children of the kingdom, but you're not going to have any place in the kingdom. The insiders became outsiders, and the outsiders became insiders. This is what some people have called the inside-out characteristic of Jesus' kingdom. What we learn from this, and I'll show you these two profiles this morning, what we learn from this is it all centers on Jesus. It's not about who you are or who I am. It's not about your background. It's not about your education. It's not about your social status. It's about, do you know Jesus? That's what the kingdom of God is about. So, let's look at these two miracles. It's interesting that these first two miracles appear to outsiders. So let's back up to verse number one and see how, what led Jesus to make the statement. Back in verse number one. When he was come down from where? Where did he come down from? What was he doing on the mountain? He wasn't praying. What did he just, we, we just looked at it in the last few weeks. He preached, yeah, he was teaching. He taught what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So he spent all this time up there teaching, and as he comes down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. 
What's he going to say next? What's he going to do next? Who's he going to upset next? There's curiosity around Jesus. And they follow him. Now, a startling thing happens in verse number 2. It's not startling to us because some of us have read the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. But if you're reading it for the first time, you come to verse number 2, and behold, there came a, a leper. Now, Can I act this out a little bit? Or you guys, you guys can, well, th- this row over here, you guys look like you could help me, right? So if I am the leper, if I'm the leper, can you all, you all know what, how to play your part? You know how to do this? Yeah, you've got to help me. You know how to play your part? If I'm the leper, you're like, you're going to, okay. Uh, Donna knows. She's ready. So there came a leper. There's a multitude of people. I'll be the leper. Some of you are like, what is a leper? Well, look at how people react to me. It's like, now, now Mike knows what to do. I'm the leper, all right? Where are you going? <laughs> Donna just like takes it next level. She's like, she's like, I will get up and get out of the building if the leper is coming, all right? Mike is just, Mike is a little more, he's like, I'll just slide over. Donna's like, nope, I am out of here. Out of here. That, it's, it was, we're kind of making a joke of it, right? But it was way worse in this day and age. This is a diseased and desperate guy. I mean, he, one day he woke up and he looked at his skin and there was something growing there. And it got worse and worse and worse. Remember, in this day, there's no antibiotic treatment. There's, there's no modern medicine or hospitalization. There's no care all they could do with a leper. Do you know what the protocol was for a leper? Just isolate them. Just isolate them. Quarantine. Boy, don't mean to bring any PTSD back to anybody. Okay? <laughs> but that was the treatment. Maybe medicine hasn't progressed so much. Anyway, so the treatment was, the treatment was quarantine the leper. Now, some of the customs of the day, if the leper had to come into a surrounding of people... Do you know what they had to say as they would walk down the road? They'd have to say, unclean. They would, have, they would literally have to announce their coming by basically telling people, here I come, stay away from me. Here I come, stay away from me. Here I come, stay away from me. If you got close to a leper, and if somehow you accidentally bumped into the leper, or you picked up tissue or something that he had dropped. Do you know what the law of the land said you had to do? Yeah, burn that and then isolate yourself. And then go see the priest and make sure you're clean. And if they found a spot on you, guess what? Off to the leper colony for you. So this is a horrible, horrible existence that this poor guy is in. Nobody wants to get near him. Think about, we don't know how long he'd been a leper, but nobody has touched him for months, years. You think of the, the simple things that we take for granted, like an arm on the shoulder, or a handshake, or a hug, gone from his life. He is without hope. He's in a miserable condition. And as 
Jesus comes down. Remember, picture the scene in your mind. There's a multitude, a huge group of people following Jesus. Tons of people following him. And as they're walking down, out in the distance, this leper comes. Jesus stands there. What do you imagine the rest of the crowd does? They just back off. They part ways and they see what is going to happen next. But I want you to know this. There may have been multitudes following Jesus, but it was the leper who worshipped Jesus. Multitudes followed, but it says, Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. And all of his rags and his, his pitiful condition, what he does, that word worship literally means he bowed down before him and he worshipped him. Everybody else is following Jesus just to see what he'll do or to see what show he'll put on. He'll see what he'll say next. But the leper, he is the ultimate outsider of the society. And the leper, in his condition, he comes and he worships the Lord Jesus Christ. He understands who Jesus is. And he says this amazing statement of faith. He says, Lord, Master, if you will, in other words, if you desire Jesus, you can make me what? Clean. Not only does he worship, but he has faith. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I believe. Now, I don't know if you want to do this, Jesus. I'm not sure this is your will. I don't know if you want to do this, but Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. Look at verse number three. And Jesus put forth his what? You're watching from a distance. What do you see Jesus doing? Touching the untouchable. Loving the unlovely. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. This is my desire. Be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Clean skin. The blemish is gone. Now, a little bit of interest in this passage, too. Technically, according to the law, when Jesus touched a leper, what does that mean? That he's unclean. But Jesus demonstrates that there is nothing that can make him unclean because he is the perfect son of God. If anyone else had touched that leper, they would have had to isolate themselves. But Jesus touches him. Friends, some of this might be, some, you may be here and you might be skeptical. What we're looking at is the recorded witness of what people who knew Jesus said that they saw. They saw a miraculous healing. They saw someone that nobody cared for anymore worship Jesus. And all Jesus said was, your worship and your faith is enough. I accept you. And he touched him and he cleaned him. He made him perfect. Can I tell you, Jesus still does the same thing today. Jesus still, you, you, we are all, you may not have a skin disease like leprosy, but you and I have a heart disease our sins have ruined our lives, have made us feel unworthy. Don't raise your hand, but has anybody ever gotten to a moment in their life where they're like, man, after everything I've done, I just feel dirty. And a lot of people think, man, I just, 
I can't go hang out with church people. After all, they're church people. Do you know what church people are? Church people are dirty sinners who've been cleansed by the touch of Jesus. Just touched by the Lord. And he can do the same thing for anyone who will come. He's not looking. Jesus said, I'm like a doctor. Doctors don't come for healthy people. They come for sick people. That's what I've come for. I haven't come for righteous people. I've come for unrighteous people. So if you're somebody that would say, if you're somebody that would say, boy, I could never be good enough to fit in in the kingdom of God, me, you are exactly the person that Jesus says he wants in the kingdom. You're exactly the person. And in fact, it's the person that says, you know what? I think I would make a great addition to the kingdom of God. That's not who Jesus is looking for. The first profile is a, is a diseased and desperate man. The second now, we get immediately into the next one. This is a foreign and unwelcomed guy. Verse 5, and when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. So we've gone from a leper to a what? How many of you can imagine in your mind, thanks to Hollywood, what a centurion looks like? How often do you think of the Roman Empire? All right. A centurion. We all have a vivid image of a centurion. Roman soldier. Why was a Roman soldier in Israel? Was he on vacation? Just taking holidays on the Mediterranean up north and or out east in Israel? He is there as an occupying soldier of a foreign government. Did the Jewish people want him there? Nobody wanted him there. But there was something different about this particular centurion. Somehow he was open to what God was doing. He may have been a, a rough, brutal soldier, but he had a tender heart for God. And look at what happens. The centurion came to Jesus beseeching, that's begging him, and saying, Lord. Now get the irony there. A Roman soldier in all of his armor looking at a Jewish traveling preacher. And he calls him master, sir. Do you think the centurion had ever called any Jew lord or master or sir before in his life? Not a chance. But he looks at Jesus and he knows about Jesus. And he says, Jesus, Lord, I have a servant at home. And apparently he really cared about this servant. This, this man has a tender heart. And he's paralyzed. And the sickness is just tormenting him. And Jesus said in verse number seven, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. I love that statement right there. Like, no, he's like, oh, what are we going to do? I'll come and heal him. Isn't that great? Maybe it's just me. Like, I just found it kind of humorous. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy. You shouldn't come to my house. Someone like you, again, Roman soldier to a Jewish man, he must have seen something different about this Jewish man. 
because he is a man of power but compassionate, and he's a man of authority who has humility. He says, I tell you what, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. In fact, just do what? What does he say? All you have to do is what? Just say it. Just say it. Don't come. I, I don't want an important person like you in my house. Jesus, just, you just say it, and I believe that he'll be healed. Verse number 9. Now look at what the centurion understands about Jesus. Je- the centurion basically says, you know what, Jesus? I'm a little bit like you. What do you mean? I, I'm a man of authority. I have soldiers under me. And guess what? If I say go, you're the soldier. If I say go, what are you going to do? You're going to go because I'm the centurion. Go. And he goes. If I say, hey, come, guess what they do? They come. Because in the Roman army, if you didn't go and you didn't come, you died. So you, this guy had authority over life and death. The centurion says, Jesus, I understand how this works. If I say go, they go. If I say come, they come. If I say do this, guess what? They do it. What is, who is he saying Jesus has authority over? The universe. This man believes that Jesus can command disease to leave. He believes that Jesus is the ultimate authority. So what happens? You see this few times ever recorded. Jesus is surprised. Now, I think he was surprised for our sakes. I don't think anything truly surprised the Lord. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. We did this a couple of weeks ago. Give me a marvel word. Do you remember we did this last time and everybody was struggling a little bit? Give me a, you're surprised, you're, you, this is King James Version. He marveled. He said what? <laughs> he said, wow. Wow. Would you look at this, everybody? Look at this. He said, he said, hey, everybody, look at this centurion. Truly, verily, I say unto you all. Now remember, who's there? Who's been following him? Multitudes of people. He wants to know that everybody takes notice of this centurion. Now, they always noticed centurions, didn't they? They tried to avoid centurions. They hated centurions. They were foreign. They didn't belong there. They needed to pack up and go home to the emperor. But Jesus says, hey, everybody, look at the centurion. I have not found such great what? Faith. No, not where. He's thrown a little bit of shade there, wouldn't you say? Right? Who's he talking to? People from Israel. He's saying, spiritually speaking, this Roman centurion outsider has the heart that all of you insiders need. Because he has faith. And that's when he says where we started. I say to you, many shall come from the east and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Can I tell you something? It is going to surprise a lot of people who is in the kingdom of God. I'm fully convinced that there will be people who struggled with addiction their whole life, but found faith in Jesus, who sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And there will be people who stumbled and fell and failed, who Jesus says, welcome home, my child. And there will be people who dress up very nice for church every week and sing the songs and play the part and do the things who will be cast into outer darkness. Because it's not about who you are. It's not about who I am. It's about who Jesus is and if we have a true relationship with him. The leper and the centurion both understood who Jesus was and put their faith in him. The religious people of the day were more impressed with their own performance than with who Jesus was. So we finish with this. Stay with me now as I wrap this up because this is the invitation to believe. Don't, don't zone out on me here. This is where it all comes home. This is where you identify. Ready now? This is where you do a self-evaluation. Say, okay, who am I? I mean, me personally, where do I fit into the story? Well, the Bible gives us over and over an invitation to believe in Jesus. Do you have a faith that Jesus says, oh, people say, that's a centurion. Oh, but look at his faith. That's a leper. Oh, but look at her. His faith. Do you know what she's done? But look at her faith. But look at his faith. Jesus, you see, there's an invitation to believe. And the Bible says there is one thing that pleases God. There's one thing that pleases God. And it makes me sad. A lot of people, I say, well, how do you please God? Well, you do your best. and You try your hardest. Is all of that important? Of course it is. But the Bible says there's one thing that pleases God, and it is faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6 says, the Bible says this, but without what? It is hard, difficult, impossible to please him. For if you're going to come to God, you have to what? Believe. It's about faith. Christianity is not a message that says, okay, clean yourself up and then come to God. Christianity says this, give your faith to Jesus and then let him clean you up. Because he will, he won't. He didn't leave the leper a leper. He cleansed the leper. He doesn't leave the sinner a sinner. He cleanses our lives. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the one thing that pleases God. Secondly, faith is the door to salvation. Faith is the door to salvation. To salvation. How do you know if you are saved? How do you know if you are a part of God's kingdom, if you are a child of God? There's only one way. Look at what it says. It says Hebrews 11, 6, but it should be Ephesians 2, 8. So I, I made some mistakes on here. I, I apologize this morning. So it should be Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it's that second verse here on the, toward the middle of the bottom of your handout. For by grace... Are ye saved through what? Faith. 
By grace you are saved through faith. How do you know if you're a true Christian? That's an important question, wouldn't you say? How do you know if you're a true Christian? That verse tells you. By grace you're saved through what? Not of who? Not of myself. It's the gift of God. And then verse 9, not of works. So how do you know you're a true Christian? Don't say, well, look at all the works I've done. Don't say, well, I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. Or I'm a Christian because I was baptized. Or I'm a Christian because I go to church every Sunday. I'm a Christian because I give my money. Do any of those things make a person a Christian? Not a single one of them. It is only by faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Hold that thought. Faith, thirdly on here, the last bullet point, faith is the solution to your situation. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian yet, you need the same thing. And what is it? Faith. You might be going through a difficulty now. You might be going through a trial. You're like the centurion or the the leper. And Jesus says, I will help you. Now, we know it's not always a healing. It's not always some big miraculous thing. Sometimes it's just peace that God gives us in our hearts. But faith is the solution. But, but you need to see these, these bold statements at the bottom of your handout because this is what is so important today. Jesus invites us to have faith. I put it in all caps because all caps is yelling. We all know that, right? Faith in Him. How many of you have ever heard this before? Ready? It doesn't so much matter what you believe, just that you do believe, or that you believe in something. How many of you have heard that before? It doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you believe in something. Well, that works really well up until the point that I believe I can fly. What you place your faith in, what you place your faith in, or who you place your faith in, has consequences. Wouldn't you agree? Anybody taking a flight within the last year? Who's taking a flight within the last year? Okay, quite a few of us. You're taking a flight within the last year. You put your faith in a number of things when you fly, do you not? Some of you are like, I know, don't remind me. All right? I hate flying. hate it. I get nervous every time. I think it's because I'm a control freak. When you fly, you ultimately have to put your faith in, like, the, the, the pilot, the ground crew, air traffic control. You know, I just don't trust all those people all the time, got to tell you, you know. But you're putting faith in a lot of things. Now, if you got on the plane, do you remember, how many remember, like, pre-9-11 days where you could look into the cockpit, even when you're flying, and see the, you could see the pilot? I remember when I was a kid, you could see the pilot in there. How many of you, you know, you got up, you're on your flight, you're in there, and uh, you use the front laboratory, and you come out, and you just want to peek at who's in the pilot's chair. And you look, and all of a sudden, whose head turns around but yours truly flying the plane? How would you feel about that flight at that moment in time? Well, wait a minute, I'm a pastor. I should be able to fly the plane, right? You'd be like, nope, has nothing to do with it. 
you could say, now I could say, but I believe that I can fly this plane. I believe it. You'd be like, well, I'm glad somebody believes it because I don't believe it. All right, all those are just silly illustrations. But, but, it's kind of silly for people to stake their entire eternal destiny on, well, I just think as long as you believe in something. You wouldn't get in a plane with that mentality. You would trust your soul for eternity with that mentality. Jesus said, and Josiah sang about it so well, Jesus said, I, speaking of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. This is the part of Christianity that sometimes people have a hard time with. They love the Jesus that does the miracles and the healings and will accept anyone. And I love that about Jesus too. Love it. But there's also a side to Jesus where he said, but I am the only way. Jesus said, I'll take anyone. I'll take an outsider. I'll take the worst from the worst to the best. I will take anyone. But you have to come through me. Christianity isn't about just believing in something. Christianity is not abstract. Faith is based on the reliability of the one we believe in. And it is only faith in Jesus that will never fail. It's not faith in a church. It's not faith in religion. It's not faith in some sense of spirituality that I felt one day in my life. My hope is anchored in Jesus Christ, my Savior. And I hope that yours is too. Because there is nothing else. If you feel like an outsider, Jesus will let you in. He will embrace you. But you must come to him. He is the only way. After all, he died on the cross. He shed his blood. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. If there were many, many ways to get to God, why would Jesus have had to go through so much? If there were so many ways to get to God, then why would Jesus have to go to the cross? If you were good enough, if you're like, well, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'd be a great addition to the kingdom of God. If you or I were good enough, why would Jesus have to shed his blood and die on the cross? He died because we're all outsiders who need to be brought in. There was a day in my life where I understood that I was a sinner, that I needed Jesus, and I asked him to save me. There was a moment in my life where I put my faith in Jesus. And we could go around the room, and many of you could say that same thing. You'd say, yes, there was a moment in my life where I went from being an outsider to an insider. Has that happened for you? Has there been a time in your life where you said, you know what? I have decided that Jesus is my Savior. I put my faith in him. If you're like, I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't. I, but if you don't know for sure, make sure today. You can make sure right now. Right now in this moment, you can say, Jesus, I'm making this decision today that you are my Lord, you are my Savior. I won't trust in anything else except for you. That's all I have to say about this passage. So what we do now at the end of the service is we have a time of response. You don't have to do anything except pray. 
We just invite you to pray with us. Everybody bows their heads. We close our eyes. And we think about what's been said. It's an important part of the service. The reason we close our eyes and bow our heads is because that helps it be about you and God. Not everybody else in the room. It's just you and God. It's you and Jesus. So in this really quiet moment, if you're in here and there's something going on in your soul, you feel, you know God is speaking to your heart. You know that you need to make the decision to trust in Jesus because you've never done it yet. Whether you go to church every week or not is irrelevant, but you've never personally made that decision to trust Jesus, I want to invite you to do it right now. Say, how do I do it? Well, the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can just pray to him. You can pray something like this. Pray a prayer quietly in your space, whether you're watching on the live stream or you're sitting in this room. If you want to make sure, you can pray a prayer like this. Say, dear, dear God, I do admit that I'm a sinner. I'm on the outside. I'm a sinner, Lord. But I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And I put my faith in you. Jesus, my faith is in you and you alone. The Bible says that if you will do that, Jesus said, if you, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. You've never made that decision. Make that decision. If you still have questions about it, boy, I'd love to help you answer those questions, give you some scripture. Or some, we've got some great little books that have been written that love to show you how you can know for sure Jesus is your Savior. And the rest of the time we have now, what about you, Christian? Have you forgotten that you are nothing but an outsider who's been brought on the inside? Have you started to get the wrong idea about who you are? Do you need to just give God thanks for his grace and his mercy this morning? Just take some time now, and the, the music is going to softly play. Christians, let's just talk to the Lord and, and re, recommit ourselves and re-humble ourselves before him. Be like that leper who's been cleansed or that servant uh, of the centurion who was healed. Just come to Christ with an open heart. Let's have just a few quiet minutes of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us. God, I pray that today if someone in here has not made the decision to put their faith in you, that today would be that day. God, for the rest of us, we pray that you would increase our faith. Lord, whatever situation we're going through and trial we're facing, help us to put our faith in you to get us through. In Jesus' name, amen. So glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.